Hello, welcome to another Book Shambles Extra. If you are a Patreon at the $3 and up tier, we have announced the time and date for our first live online book club. Robin, Josie and myself will be live online on May 19 at 5pm for those Patreons to talk about Kurt Vonnegut's Galapagos, which is our first book club book. So make sure you log on to Patreon and get the message there. You'll have already been sent it if you're at the uh, appropriate reward tier. And we look forward to seeing you then. And of course, a quick reminder for some of our upcoming live shows. May 23 will be in Northampton. Uh, with the return of Blooming Buzzing Confusion, uh, Robin and Alan Moore and Lindsay Fitzharris and some other guests will be there as part of that. Details on the Cosmic Shambles website. We'll be announcing the details soon as well for a run of Book Shambles live shows at this year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And of course, there's our shows at the Albert Hall. Uh, June 4, two episodes of Book Shambles live with Lucy Green and Alan Moore. Alan Moore in the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, then on June 11, we have Adam Buxton and another guest, which we haven't announced just yet for Book Shambles Live as well. And then on June 15 is obviously Space Shambles in the main hall with Robin and Chris Hadfield and Apollo astronaut Rusty Schweikart and Festival of the Spoken Nerd and Stuart Lee and Jim El Khalili and Monica Grady and lots and lots and lots of other people. Our Royal Albert Hall website has all of your tickets for that. <laughs> I spoke to Jess Phillips about her inspirations as we stood in a vestry while someone in the main church played a Van Morrison CD quite loudly. Uh, welcome to Book Shambles Extra. Josie sadly is not here due to uh, heavy pregnancy, so it's just me on my own uh, with Jess Phillips, who is, of course, uh, has been an MP for three years now mm-hmm. and uh, has uh, written a book, Every Woman, which has been received many plaudits, including The Spectator. Yeah, shocker. Uh, it's lovely to see that on the cover, the spectators. Um, the, the book deals with how to not be browbeaten, how not to be, just to say you have something. I mean, you, you say the first story you say is the fact that Harriet Harman said to you, you're not going to be popular. Mm. Now, how do you, where do you, you got that resilience from to go, this is me, this is what I want to say, and I'm going to have to? Um, I mean, I suppose... I would say I got quite a lot of it from childhood. I've got three older brothers, so I and I'm from Birmingham, where taking the mick out of somebody is the only way we really show love. Um, so I grew up constantly in a family of arguing and having to find your space and find your voice. But also, when you've got three brothers and you're being raised by feminists, you're told every single day there's nothing that they can do that you can't do, and that really does sink in. So uh, I've always been a gobshite, as my father would say. Um, But uh, I also don't think that I'm special or that there's some magic trick of people who should speak up. And I suppose what I'm trying to say in the book is that everybody should feel more confident to speak up about their lives because they're the ultimate experts. And women do this thing where we say... Oh, I don't know whether I should make a comment or I should speak up and they feel a bit anxious like everybody in the room is really clever and isn't going to, like, you know, they're going to know more about the thing than they, they do and that is almost never the case. Look around in meetings, people are batting average. That's it, well, you mentioned right at the end of the book, you talk about imposter syndrome. And that is, it, you know, it, it used to be specifically believed to be something that was a, a female trait, but I think an enormous number of people with a fear of being judged, yep. a fear of being wrong. I think it's a class thing as much as it is a, um, 
a, a women thing. Women do seem to be less willing to put their hands up, even, you know, in the events that I go to, you're much more likely to get questions from men than you are from women. Um, but I think that it is a class thing. People think that everybody else around them is an expert, even though often that's not the case. And I mean, my touchstone, which I talk about in the book, is Chris Grayling, who managed to become, you know, the Secretary of State for Justice. He is a bang average dull man with no experience of the justice system. What on earth may, would make anyone think that they couldn't get there if they could? Well, that was last night I went to see Adam Kay, who, of course, used to be a junior doctor. Yeah. And what he was saying about the time that he met Jeremy Hunt. Oh, yeah, it was brilliant. I heard him talking about it mm. on the radio. And he thought he was going to be really nice to him or really easy on him. And he, he wasn't at all. He told him what it was like to be a junior doctor. And what does Jeremy Hunt know about what it's like to be a junior doctor? And for lots of women, I want them to feel that they are an expert in their own lives. They know what they should be doing, should be working out, should be achieving at their work. They know about what their lives are like with their childcare, with their relationships, with the amount of housework that women still do, three billion pounds or three trillion pounds worth of free labour every year. We need to talk up about the ordinary as well as the extraordinary. That's what when, when talking about. You, you mentioned also a little bit about class when you were just talking to Susanna Moore, and uh, I think that's an interesting thing where the number of people who've been to public school in Oxford and Cambridge, the one thing that is, as you've kind of been talking about, dr drummed into them is you're the top 5%. Yeah, and know. we seem to see that a lot with this government, which is wow! They don't seem to have any facts at their fingertips whatsoever, and they seem to know, to everyone observing, oh, yeah. they seem to know nothing, and yet the belief that they know more than you. Oh, yeah. Or the, or those other... it's, it's entitlement. And it's amazing how even at grammar schools uh, compared to comprehensive schools, um, but certainly the private school system, the thing I notice the difference isn't that kids are cleverer who went there. They're certainly not more even well-read even. They're just more confident. Mm. And they're more willing to feel that they're owed something, they're entitled to something. And I sit in front of government ministers sometimes and they are literally saying things like, no women's refuges have been shut and I have literally stood in women's refuges that have shut down. And I think, how dare you? You don't know, as my father would say, boo from a cow's arse about this. But here you are professing to be an expert yeah. and that's really I suppose the reason I decided to get into Parliament so that I could shout over them and say you don't know what you're talking about pal. That was a lovely bit you talked about being on question time and I always find that the most worrying thing where you go as long as it doesn't the immediacy of the answer however wrong it is may well if you go hang on a minute I haven't got those stats now they go you lost yeah. the person who lied won and you were talking about Dimbleby just beforehand yeah. this tremendous relief that you had. Yeah. That there was, uh, yeah, basically that the researchers were saying to me that, you know, that before every episode they have to go through exactly all the different complexities of Brexit because it's complex and the difference between a single market and a customs union. These things get confused in your mind when you're talking and the idea that David Dimbleby is well-versed on literally everything is what you feel like when you're on Question Time. You feel like the man knows absolutely everything. He's got a team of people telling him what those things are just exactly the same way that you have. And you shouldn't ever think that these people are somehow magnificent or superhuman. And 
you're not but yeah I mean that, that sort of thing happens all the time we can't know everything and we shouldn't judge people and also in politics what really annoys me is the idea that if you can't memorize a certain number of statistics that you're a be a bad politician or you'd be a bad leader because in real life we've got printouts of pieces of paper that you're allowed to read <laughs> leadership isn't about memorizing statistics so I don't know why that's always the way people get judged. Something I do, you were saying that uh, the the thing that you do every International Women's Day, which is to to read out mm-hmm. all of the names of, of of women who were murdered that year, um, and you immediately get thousands of reactions mm-hmm. from men's rights activists. Mm-hmm. And this does seem to be a very uh, loud movement. It yeah. will jump very quickly. Yeah. Um, what would you advise to those who, who, in the same way, I suppose, people behind the All Lives Matter movement, yeah. that thing to me, where would you start them reading? What do you think would be a, a good point in terms of books that are out there now? To go, your life is not being discounted, but this yeah. is a different... This is No, I mean, I think it is interesting and in trying to understand the lives of ordinary women and the, and the kind of challenges that we face that men just don't face I think that the really interesting um, book uh, why I'm no longer speaking to white people about race is is actually gone exactly to try and address that very issue but from a racial perspective rather than a gendered perspective and trying to understand why it's it's tricky and obviously the people who get in touch with me and say that are often a bit well, they're angry, and I, I'm not entirely sure why, but Catelyn Moran's book, How to Be a Woman, is a very, very easy-to-read, basic understanding of why it feels so tiring to have to wear shoes, for example, that are designed specifically to be uncomfortable. Now, men could never, ever begin to even understand why women would specifically <laughs> seek out to wear clothes that hurt them. And... When you take it down to that sort of cellular level of the kind of things women are putting up with every single day, maybe they'll start to realise why we're kicking back a bit. It does seem in crooks. It's been going on for about 20 years. Every week there'll be somebody who writes about, aren't the real victims now the white middle-class oh, males? No, and yeah. it just seems to be a... Oh, yeah. The I stats mean, are quite accessible, I've found, generally. Yeah, but, I mean, there is an awful lot of uh, information, for example, about the pay gap, which people love to pretend doesn't exist, but, I mean, it, it, it's definitely there. Um, but, yeah, um, the... There is a huge amount. Every um, couple of months, the Women in Equality Select Committee will publish a report with all of the data around whether it's age discrimination, race discrimination, uh, gender discrimination. The facts are very, very clear. Um, but, yeah, if people don't want to see the facts. Facts aren't what matter anymore. Emotions is what matters. And the thing about men's rights activists that I don't like is that they're not actually fighting for the rights of men. They're trying to stop women. What were the books that you, you were saying this afternoon that you were brought up in quite a far-left household, this was the politics of your parents, were that, I, I know that you were saying in your teenage years it was predominantly Dr Dre and Snoop Dogg that were your influences, <laughs> but what were, there, were, were there also influences, some of the books that were around there that even you might not have even realised at the time, you think, oh yeah. Um, well, I mean, I have to say that the books that I read over and over again when I was a child and read almost yearly now are the Adrian Mull books because... They represent my family. They are funny, politically intelligent, working-class people who were allowed to know about politics. They weren't dumbed down. I mean, we were to laugh at Adrian and some of his political views, but Pauline Mull and then Pandora Braithwaite 
are my political icons. Um, so I, I read those books when I was um, very young, and also the uh, the Queen and I by Sue Townsend. Basically, I like books written by women from the Midlands, uh, specifically Sue Townsend. Yeah. It turns out, yeah, but so. she's a great example, isn't she? Yeah. Of someone who, again, she wasn't handed a bunch of advantages, and no, yet she, she remoulded. Totally, and I wrote to her when I was um, about 10, because at school they'd, I'd taken in The Queen and I, which is about the Queen ending up in a council flat, and um, and one of my teachers had said that it was too old and I shouldn't be reading it, and uh, so I wrote to her and said, my teacher said I shouldn't be reading your book, and she wrote me back this brilliant letter, um, which my dad still has, about um, how, of course, I should be reading it and how delighted she was that I had been reading it. So, yeah, she has been an absolute heroine of mine, and her writing is just funny and it, it, it speaks in the vernacular that my family spoke in and so it was accessible to me but also um, I mean women writers I have to say my mum was a total bookworm she would inhale books when I was a kid and then as I got to be older um, she uh, would pass them over to me and I remember vividly reading Oranges Are Not The Only Fruit when I was about 12 and just being just it, nothing like a world I came from of liberation and freedom and the idea of women being hemmed in and being forced to be a certain way because of religion or culture I found absolutely fascinating and I, that's another book I reread frequently these sort of comforts from my childhood and my early teenage years but around me I mean my parents are really really political so there is in my house there is various versions of the Communist Manifesto and uh, all the books that you would ima- imagine Thomas More, The Rights of Man I can think of like nine copies on the shelves at home and yeah anything written by Hobsbawm my mum was uh, did history at university so all sort of socialist the Miliband, uh, Ralph Miliband's books all those political books I grew up around old battered copies of socialist uh, works You haven't read uh, Alexi Sales Stalin Ate My Homework have you? Oh no is it good? I'm going to read that. Alexi was brought up, his parents were both communists, yeah. and it was like he wasn't allowed to go and see Bambi because it was by the uh, oppressive American regime. I wasn't allowed to watch Walt Disney as a child at all, not even once. But his mum said it was because it was upset him, and instead she took him to go and see Ivan the Terrible, which ends with a bunch of, not only is it, you know, it's a very beautiful but not necessarily perfect for eight years, which a bunch of horses drown in a lake. <laughs> it's not just one mum. It's, it's hundreds of, 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 of horses drowning, you know. Yeah, I mean, I have a similar childhood. Is that I, I remember I wasn't allowed to watch any, anything American apart from M.A.S.H. M.A.S.H. was the acceptable thing that we were allowed to watch if we watched it with Mum and Dad. But we weren't allowed to watch Disney at all and we weren't allowed to drink Coca-Cola and my father only ever referred to America as the evil empire and still does. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I used to go to my friend's house and watch, like, foreign television, like, Neighbours and things because that would, that would ruin my mind if we watched that drivel. Uh, so we weren't allowed any of that. And now my dad, with my children, is down at McDonald's buying them bottles of pop and letting them watch any old shit on the television I don't, I mean, honestly, he was like a loud hailing communist when I was a kid and now it seems to have all gone by the way, so... I'll only ask you one more thing. Who is it... You, Susanna right at the end asked, you know, what gives you hope? In terms of 
every now and again there are certain oh by the way I should recommend in terms of um, books by great female authors because Josie will tell me off if I don't Jean Reese. if you've never read Jean Reese, who wrote Wide Sagasso Sea which is like oh, a prequel read that, to Jane yeah. Eyre I have yeah. read that and her that books that she wrote uh, before because you know, she had 30 years where no one knew her she was kind of, but the before that time the Wide Sagasso Sea incredible one. stories of what it was to be this lone woman uh, in kind of Paris oh, in London that. and uh uh, what's it called? Uh, is it Good Morning Midnight? I think it's Good Morning Midnight. Okay, I'm going to read that. Um, what gives you uh, inspiration, hope? Are there certain books you return to? And you know, when you sometimes, I'm sure there's moments that you leave Parliament, you think, "What am I doing here? Why am I doing this?" The amount of you know intrusion that you've talked about in the past as well. Other books you go, "Oh, I've remembered now. This is why I'm here, and this is what I want to do." Oh, that is a good question. Um, the I suppose it is the sort of plays of the 1960s, your tastes of honey and your things like that that remind me, and those are the things I studied when I was at school, about what it is like to live in poverty. And Westminster is so distant from reality. As I get off the train at Birmingham New Street, I can feel my shoulders dropping and losing the sort of terrible stress. But yeah, ordinary stories, you, you, you Angela's Ashes, you, your stories of, and um, Oranges Are Not The Only Fruit, those stories of a time when people were really poor and the, but, but expressive. I think that what I was trying to say today is I hate the sort of romanticisation of, of poverty. Um, because I, I want to see real characters written about as well, like bastards as well. The, the bastard drunken father is obviously uh, usually the one. But yeah, those sorts of books, I would say, are the, the thing that keep me going politically, is the memory of, of people with nothing. Thanks very much, Jess Phillips. Every Woman is out now. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Mm-hmm.